like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Joining me down there in Decula, Georgia, my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is good to be back talking college football like we do every week on this podcast. Um, I just want, do we jump right into it? How do, how do I broach this subject here, man? How are you feeling? You're going to have to be more specific. What are you? What, how, how, how are you doing personally? I mean, I wrote about it uh, earlier. Um, I don't know if you read it, but I wrote about um, how Tennessee fans should feel. And you can go check it out at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Um, but look, the family group chat was not good last night. Um, it was one person left the group chat. Um, has not been mm. back. I don't know if they're going to rejoin, but uh, they they did leave the group chat. Um, it was a uh, it was a lot. Uh, a lot has happened. Hendon Hooker since that game has been confirmed to be out for the season, and just brutal, brutal way to end um, his college football career. Um, he's going to get drafted, and uh, hope for the best for him. But man, tearing your ACL the way he did, and it looked bad at the time with the non-contact uh, pitch play, and that ended the game really too. It was a two for one uh, because he also fumbled when he was going down, and that's when it was over. Because at that point, uh, until that point, I still thought Tennessee was going to win. Like it was <laughs> until the fumble where I was like, "Oh, this is just too much. I, I don't think they're going to be able to come back from this." Um, which is a testament to Tennessee and Josh Heupel. It's just that like. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just kept waiting. Um, Cause like, they're not going to go. They scored five touchdowns on their first five drives. Like eventually things will settle down. Eventually Tennessee, I mean, South Carolina still has to play perfect football to win this game. Cause I was like the, the offense is coming. Cause they still see stuff and they were able to run the ball. Jabari Small had some big stuff. And Nooker was able to do some stuff. They still had the short stuff. Squirrel white was doing a lot more than I thought. Um, Cedric Tillman was good when he needed to be Princeton fan had a really good game, but um Pass protection wasn't bad. It, I'm just like, all right, this will just continue on. It's just going to be a dogfight. I thought it was. It reminded me a lot of Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee last year, um, and I thought it was just going to be a crazy officiated game at the end. Um, Cam Smith talking about Jalen Hyatt uh, after the game, um, saying like, there's not. I think he was asked about trash talk between the two of them or something, and he said he didn't. Uh, something to affect, and I'm paraphrasing here of like, it's not really trash talk. It's only one sided or something. Um, and you know he was 
uh, he spent a lot of time going after the official. On one moment, I texted you. I was like, how is this dude not tossed? I've never seen a college football player just go at the official for that long and by like without a coach pulling him back. Like, what are you doing? You can't just be like out on island uh, yelling at this official for, I think it was one of his uh, pass interference calls uh, at that point in the game. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's weird because before the year, and this is something I said on the preview show, Matt, is this that like, Coming into the year, I said 10 and 2. And everything's about perspective. And it's so hard. And this is what I wrote about is when you lose matters so much more <laughs> than it should. And if this game happens in September and they just get the, the defense just implodes like this, the secondary looks this bad, um, you know, the like it just you have that kind of mulligan game early on. People don't remember. Like if you flip LSU and now or LSU in the South Carolina weekend because we played South Carolina um, about the same time we played LSU last year and if you flip that this year you're looking at oh Tennessee just ruined LSU's CFP chances they had that one the two losses to South Carolina and Georgia yeah they can't win the title but wow Tennessee coming on strong at the end here we thought LSU was a CFP team maybe Tennessee is and those wins still happen like Tennessee still went into Dead Valley and won big Tennessee still blew the doors off Kentucky. Tennessee still got over the pit hub. They still got over the Florida hub. And they beat Alabama at home. Alabama has lost. They are four points away from being undefeated at this point. They lost by one point to LSU and three to Tennessee. And outside of that, they're undefeated. And there's, a, I mean, who knows what happens the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, those are all gigantic wins. Like splitting Georgia-Alabama a lot of folks around um, college football laughed at the notion of Tennessee splitting them. Better just even being in either of those games. And I was like, no, they're going to win one. And then I said before the year that this team was going to have a top 10 offense again, scoring offense. They're tied for number one right now, even through 11 weeks. When you have that kind of offense, it's just really hard not to win double-digit games. They were the only Power 5 school not to win double-digit games while also finishing in the top 10 in scoring. They are still on path to finish in the uh, double-digit wins. Like, if it takes a bowl game because of the Vanderbilt with Joe Milton now in uh, on Saturday, we'll see how that goes. But, I mean, I still think this season is a huge win. I also think it was good for Heupel to talk about it the way he did, where Heupel, he said he, like, essentially, again, paraphrasing, is just that in his post-game presser of, like, I hope this sticks with them. I hope this sticks with the coaches, the team. Like this one needs to sting for a long time. This one needs to stay with the program for a long time because you can't have losses like this. Like you can't, if you want to be at that next level, you want to get to the mountaintop, you want to be a CFP team, you want to be an SEC champion, that sort of thing. This can never happen again. Like this is under this administration, that kind of just getting worked by a team who did not score an offensive touchdown the week prior Spencer Rattler played the game of his life and he deserves a lot of credit because he had a lot of NFL throws in this one. He was, he was great. Like Spencer Rattler was sensational. Um, he had a, he had a big day and, um, a lot like it, but you put that back on the flip side, Latrell Bumpus, um, was in the post game and he basically said like, no, they were doing just about the stuff we were expecting them to do. We just didn't execute. Like that scares me even more is like, it wasn't even really like any of the Tennessee defense was surprised by what like the wildcat stuff they ran a lot of wildcat that didn't catch tennessee by surprise um it was the big plays the receivers making big plays that threw me by surprise through tennessee by surprise like brandon turnage um i haven't seen the latest on him but he was getting worked a bunch they were targeting him over and over and over again and 
second year just didn't have any answers. Like the 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 run defense held up for the most part, but no pass rush. Uh, Byron Young, Tyler Barron, Latrell Bumpus didn't matter who it was. They weren't getting home, and Spencer Rattler had all the time in the world. And when you give these quarterbacks, especially like super talented quarterbacks, regardless of what they've been to this point, he was still a five-star consensus number one prospect for a reason. And it was for stuff like that. Like that's what you were expecting at Oklahoma week in, week out was that kind of game. And he had it in him and he had it against Tennessee at the worst possible time for Tennessee. But I said, coming in, it's like, I didn't feel good about finishing the year with two road SEC games. I didn't feel good about, um, this situation I predicted before the year that Tennessee would drop I mean, a dumb it's, one. It's South Carolina and Vanderbilt though, as far as road, but they're SEC. still road SEC games and it's just, they have everything to gain and Tennessee had everything to lose. And it's also, I am personally excited to see how Tennessee responds, right? We have not seen them face this kind of adversity, uh, to this point, uh, in this administration, because last year they caught everybody by surprise. There's no real adversity. They were just playing with house money, had a schedule this year. They get down to the end they're competing for a spot in the playoff and the way it's going, it wouldn't have mattered anyway, which is what I hope for my own sanity is USC and TCU went out. So uh, Tennessee wouldn't have even gotten in anyway, but uh, how they respond against Vanderbilt and how they respond going into next year is just going to be very interesting because I mean, this is it like Kirby and and you saw it with Georgia when they lost and got upset at home by at South Carolina in 2019. This is an embarrassing. They're like, Oh, where are we going? Where's this offense going? And then they won six straight. They get to the SEC title game. They lose LSU, but that was the best team in the, in the country. But it's like how you rebound when you have those embarrassing losses. And look, I mean, South Carolina still under 500 in the conference under Shane Beamer. They're still one of the worst offenses in this conference. They still are South Carolina. They have been the SEC East champions once since joining the conference in 1991. They have not won the conference. They have the upside's not there. So, I mean, the South Carolina fans who were even going after Tennessee recruits today being like, are you sure you don't want to consider South Carolina? And then guys like Shandamian Bradley, like, no, I'm good. Uh, Ball for life. It was hilarious stuffing these South Carolina fans in trash cans for trying to uh, go after these kids recruits. Like, are you sure? Which is just a bad look. Stop going after these kids. Uh, Leave them out. It's fine. Um, It's good. You had a lot of recruits in the building who watched your Gamecocks upset and blow out uh, Tennessee, just enjoy that. Um, Twitter was a cesspool. A lot of folks, um, I had to get off cause I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm going to get super mad. I was already annoyed and frustrated. And then I'm just scrolling through, uh, all the different fan bases who were just loving the blowout, loving Tennessee getting stomped. I mean, Tennessee, it doesn't matter if it's baseball, basketball, football, they elicit so much hate and such strong reactions from the nation. They are, I mean, it's I think wild. It's, I think it's the fan base. It's the culture. Like, especially the Tennessee baseball team was just shooting birds. Like, they they embraced being the, the enemy, right? And you saw Hypel, you, you said last week, right? He wants to be the next Spurrier. Like, throwing, touch, throwing 60-yard bombs on Missouri up four touchdowns, five touchdowns. Second string was in. Let's make that point. But I mean, they're they're scoring a lot on people. They're kind of. But they also, have he was a, kind of vindicated. Let's make that point. Joe Milton's going to play football on Saturday, so it's good that he got those seventy-yard bombs and that he got real work with this offense 
in against Mizzou. Like that matters. That's what you you never know. Like you never know with injuries and how stuff happens. If you're not running a real offense with those second stringers in, like what you actually do, what's the point? What are we supposed to do? Just kneel it over and over again? No. Play the offense. Stop him. No, you I mean, can't that's... stop a seventy yard through the air bomb from Joe Milton throwing to his left. No. Then that's on you. That's on you. That's fair. And I respect how how positive you ultimately are being about this because it is 10 and and 2 preseason. Every Tennessee fan signs up for it. But like you said, when you lose matters, the the expectations get recalibrated and losing the way they did. And it's not even like I was really trying – I was trying to stack this up with honestly some of the worst losses in college football in the last 20 years. Like for Tennessee alone – like the first one that st- pops out is the SEC Championship 2001. I think they're in the national championship if they win. Um, but that's like a top 10 LSU team with Rohan Davey and, and Nick Saban coach team, obviously. And then probably, what was it 2016 where they finally broke through and beat Georgia and Florida? And I mean, maybe it's the South Carolina loss that year or. They also Probably lost to Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt that year. To end. They like got blown out by Vanderbilt. So like that's one of the worst Tennessee losses. But I feel like you have to go back to like the West Virginia loss back in 2007 to Pitt, where like they're they're in the BCS title game if they win that uh, if they beat a four and seven Pitt or whatever they were in the season finale. Maybe even the Dan Mullen uh, the shoe game against LSU. Like I mean, that basically started the downfall of their entire program. But it was like the it wasn't necessarily the automatic college football playoff implication, but it was like week before SEC championship. It set up this win the SEC championship, you're in the playoff scenario, and you just you just blow that the week before it even happens. Maybe the Boise State lost to Nevada that one year um, with Kaepernick when they uh, kicker missed like a 30 yard field goal that would have. There were still two undefeateds. I think it was 2010. There were still multiple undefeateds. I don't think they get in the national championship, but it it cost the school like millions of dollars for not getting in like a BCS bowl. So I don't know. I was just trying to think. It's I don't know the the magnitude of it. Like it is just year two of Hypel, but it's also like the way this team is constructed. Like with Hooker gonna go to the NFL. Like so many seniors kind of on this team. It's not like an obvious like okay this was a we this wasn't a year we were expect like it wasn't a year Tennessee expected to be here but it's not like a, oh we're next year was the year we were kind of targeting you know what I mean it's it's not like when you look at Georgia like 2017 or something like losing to Alabama like they did there was they lost so much off the defense the next year but there was still like a lot of the young core of that like freshman class that played a lot of meaningful minutes it feels like this this Tennessee team, like this was kind of a veteran team here. And so I, I wonder, you know, what this does moving forward. Like Joe Milton, there's going to be a lot of hype around Joe Milton going into this Tennessee offense. Like I'm not going to suggest they're going to lose to Vanderbilt or anything this week. But like obviously Vanderbilt's playing good football. But I think they should be able to get it together enough to just beat Vanderbilt. Who knows, you know, what happens in a bowl game. People sit out, whatever. But um, I don't know. I'm interested to see where Tennessee goes from here because they don't necessarily look like they're they're going to be better next year. Uh, it just depends. Like I think eight and four, nine and three is probably realistic next year. Um, I don't see a huge drop off because it also goes back to the points thing where I'm like I don't see 
the offensive drop off um, there. And like you said, there are some seniors, like said, it's gone. But something that I would say about Cedric Tillman and Hinden Hooker in this game, and this is something that I felt all year because since he got injured and then kind of came back and kind of wasn't there, like he made a go of it against Georgia, but he wasn't himself. And you could tell just like Ramel Keaton just really settled in as the third guy with Brew McCoy and Jalen Hyatt. Like those three really settled in with Cedric Tillman out, and that's when you're, you blow out um lsu and you blow out kentucky and things were just humming um where they got used to it because like they don't sub with the receivers it's a bunch of snaps for their three guys and they hypo likes to go with his three and part of me is like man i wonder what a lot of this stuff looks like if said just doesn't get hurt or you're just like all right said just shut it down for the year because we just we have this thing moving so much of his timing and getting right like hooker missed cedric tillman multiple times in this one deep um there's a bad no pass interference call um, uh, on Cedric Tillman on one of those uh, bombs down the right side. But Hooker wasn't himself um, on the deep throws. And that was a huge part of this game is like they couldn't get back in. It was Jalen Hyatt was completely taken away uh, deep. Uh, Cam Smith deserves credit for shutting him down uh, and forcing him to take only underneath stuff because Hooker only averaged five yards in attempt in this one. Um, that's just bonkers based on uh, what South Carolina was to this point. I mean, their starting safety got uh, tossed for targeting. They put in a true freshman behind him, and they just didn't really miss a beat. And it was just kind of demoralizing to see the offense kind of struggle. Brew McCoy was active early, and then he uh, got hurt, and he never came back in. So that was another part of it. Squirrel White was great. So Squirrel is going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome receiver for this group and, and this offense. But you know, uh, Darnell Wright, right tackle. He's going to go to the NFL. He'll be gone. Um, Cooper Mays will be back. I think a lot. It, I, I don't think it's going to be as bad of a, a turnover. Like the running backs will all be back outside of small. And you've got uh, a new, uh, You've. I mean, Dylan Sampson looks like he's going to be a dude. I'm pretty excited about him. Jalen Wright's continuing to get better. I'm not really worried about the running back room. I'm also just not really worried. I mean, there's wide receiver talent out the wazoo. Like, that's one area. Like, they're just, they're fine. Um, and I think Jalen Hyatt will actually be back, too. And I think Brew McCoy will have a bigger year. Uh, tight ends scares me. Princeton Fant and Jacob Warren are both gone. Um, so, all their production there is gone. So And they don't really have obvious uh, backups. So I'm going to guess they go in the portal. But, I mean, there's a bunch of reinforcements. The main thing is the secondary. Like, there's so there is so much talent. Um, coming in this class in the secondary. So I think they'll have to get some in the uh, transfer portal because you can't just go straight freshman. But Jordan Matthews is in this class. Ricky Gibson, Sylvester Smith, Jack Luttrell. You go up and down the list. There's so much. Christian Conyer. Um, this just the defense needs a lot of depth. But it's also to the point where you lose to Vanderbilt. And I wrote about this. It's just that, like, it's one thing to lose to South Carolina. You get you give up a lot of points, you give up a lot and you lose to Vanderbilt and South Carolina. It just doesn't matter. Someone has to get fired for that. Like that's just, it's unfortunate, but not everyone can keep their jobs. That's how you end your season um, is losses to South Carolina and Vanderbilt, especially just with uh, how high this program has been this year, getting to number one in the C the opening CFP and all that. But I don't know. I think, like I said, I'm still optimistic about where this team's going. I'm still optimistic about Hypel being one of the best offensive minds in the sport. I think the recruiting's fine. Um, that's all going to continue to get better and better. Nico's coming in in a couple weeks. Like we'll see if he's the guy. So if it's not Joe Milton, they have Taven Jackson. They have M Nico. Like they're going to be okay. I think the offense will continue to be okay. But I mean, I think you might have to have real questions and conversations about Tim Banks as DC if he's back. 
Um, like Roddy Gardner, I think, is just untouchable unless Auburn pulls him back in if Kiffin hires him and he goes back there. But I, I don't know. I think there are going to be some real questions that have to be asked based on that kind of defensive performance because that was one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen. And I... <laughs> It just it's it was so bad that even with how depleted it was, Jeremy Banks not playing, um, Brandon Turnage getting hurt, uh, which was brutal because not only did he get he was just had a really really rough night in coverage, but then he gets hurt and you just feel horrible for the kid because he wasn't a factor all year long, and then he works his way plays his way into a starting spot opposite of Danico Slaughter, and those two just got destroyed tonight, and I don't think any of us saw that coming and. Secondary is just bad. Uh, Trey Flowers and Jalen McCullough are veterans, but they're just, they've been bad. So you won't really miss them. Linebackers, Beasley was great. Um, not having Jeremy Banks in this one was a huge blow. He's kind of the quarterback of this defense and uh, was really the only one who gets consistent pressure over the last couple of weeks. And not having him on the edge blitzing was obviously missed in this one, but that's not an excuse for 60 plus points to South Carolina. But a lot of, a lot of credit to the Gamecocks. They, they won this game handedly. Uh, Tennessee didn't take care of business. And I am curious to see how Joe Milton does on Saturday against Vanderbilt. We'll see. Um, but a horrible way for it to end for Hooker. Just an all-time great Tennessee player. Had a great, great time here at Tennessee over two years. Special player. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it was really, really rough. And a lot of fan bases really enjoyed how rough it was uh, for all of us. And... I don't know when I saw Georgia becoming like Alabama fans after a year of dominance, but it happened quickly. They are now the, you think you're one of us. This is what happens. And it's just, Mm. and you just won your first title, man. Like you just won it. Can you at least wait for like five years? Like you might go back to back this year. You're the favorites. Can you give it some time? Can you give it a little bit of time? Georgia perspective. It's I feel like Tennessee fans are getting a little too big for their britches. They were the new kid on the block. Hold on. I hear this a lot. This is take it easy. (laughs) They weren't framing it like that though. It was more, it was so dismissive of like, who are you to believe? And it's like, we didn't put ourselves number one in the CFP. They put us number one. What do you want us to do? We won the games in front of us. We are ahead of schedule. We have the best offense in the country. Are we supposed to feel bad? Like, oh, like what are, What do you want us to do as Tennessee fans when things are going as well as they were for the majority of this season? I don't understand what that was and the excitement I and mean, believing. And you, it was hyped as the game of the century. Like, what are they supposed to do? I think if you talk a lot, you get, you know, you, you're very brash. I think when you lose, I think people celebrate those teams losing more. I think that's just how it, how it goes in sports in general. But, but who on this team do people not like? Like, that was the whole thing. It's I like, who on this team? I don't think it's any of the players. I think it's just the fans. It's just Tennessee Tennessee as a as a collective. But they really elicited a lot of hate. Like, I saw so many. It was like everybody came together for Kumbaya. And I just see this in baseball, football. I felt like, I feel like America was rooting against Tennessee, the Tennessee Volunteers. 1,000%. I, I did feel like South Carolina was, was doing, doing a service for the country yeah. to keep Tennessee out of the playoff. They're not there yet. They're not there yet. Let it get them, let them work, work their way to it a couple of years, you know, build a program up. But they're not, they're not quite there yet. Georgia had to, Georgia had established like a top five program for like a half a decade before we got the benefit of the doubt getting in the playoff without winning the conference, you know? So we just, Tennessee's not quite there yet. But, um, but what no, this are was we absolutely supposed shocking. to do? 
No, I'm not. No, there's not. It's it's narratives and it. it's not like real. Twitter's not a real place, right? So exactly. Who knows it's like how... I want these people. Like I just come find me at a coffee shop and then just tell me like on campus, like or just on campus, just find me and be like, hey, here is what how I think Tennessee fans should act for us to like. I just don't. I think people's minds are already made up. Like all these people just already have had. I these. think every SEC fan base is arrogant, and when mm. you're the talk of the town, you might be the most arrogant, and so that's who people start rooting against. So you know, yeah. but no, hey, people don't want people. people no, hold on, I don't think that's true because I really don't think people want Tennessee to be good. They are indifferent about Ole Miss being good, indifferent about Arkansas being good. I think there but are a lot. But it's like of, once you actually, if Arkansas is actually legit good, that's mm. when people start to hate them. You don't, I don't you're not, think you're so. Not doing people like right. Sam Pittman. The you're not doing anything right them. until you have haters. Like that's that's just Arkansas is a cute story, but they're not going to beat my my team. So you know I'm not I'm not <laughs> threatened by them. Like that's that's that sort of thing. Like yeah, Arkansas, I'm rooting for you. Yeah. But uh, they come into Athens and beat Georgia, then you're like, you know, fuck Sam Pittman. What is this guy? Yeah. Um, so that's how things can change. Like me and my brother talked about, like we don't really hate Baker Mayfield, and we're just kind of like probably because Georgia beat Oklahoma. If, if Oklahoma beat Georgia, we'd probably still hate Baker Mayfield. But so that's just kind of how it goes. Um, if you're if you're making enemies, you're doing things right. But yeah. um, in terms of this game, um, I'm I want Georgia to to watch this game, watch South Carolina and how they use Jaheim Bell. He's obviously playing running back at a necessity for South Carolina, but this is what I've said about Brock Bowers for Georgia. Like this man needs to touch the ball 15 times a game, like a running back. Like you should feed him. And Jaheim Bell, 17 carries, 82 yards, also had five catches and, and two receiving touchdowns. Like this guy is just a baller. Like I'm not really sure what position he's going to play. I guess he's still going to be a tight end um, going to the next level. But I don't know. This guy looks like he can be a legit running back. Um, but, I, yeah, I was I was super impressed with, with – uh, with South Carolina, it was just it was unbelievable the way South Carolina's, South Carolina's offense was just humming along. This is the Green Line stat of the week. I'm just gonna jump right into it. It's it's multi parts, and I uh, I apologize beforehand, but the South Carolina was just unprecedented what they did uh, on Saturday. So as you know, 63 points. I'm sure you've heard by now. Most points ever given up in the AP poll era by a top five team to an unranked opponent. South Carolina, 10 drives in this game, scored nine touchdowns, 54 points in their previous three SEC games, one and two in those games, who are those losses to to Florida, and I want to say, is did they lose to Vanderbilt? No, they beat Vanderbilt. Uh, I can't remember Mizzou. their last two. Mizzou, Missouri, that's who it was. Yeah. Lost to Florida and Missouri over those 54 points in those th- previous three games, scored 63 on Saturday. Spencer Rattler was eight touchdowns and nine picks on the year. Five touchdowns in versus SEC competition coming into Saturday night. And this guy just channeled his inner, what, Johnny Manziel? I don't know. Steven Garcia, I guess, probably would be more appropriate. Just 30 of 37, 430 yards, six touchdowns, no picks. Like like you said, like, is that is that the five star that we were we were all talked about? We were supposed to we've all heard about, or was this it was this more of an indictment on just Tennessee's defense? Like this team scored six points against Florida, and it wasn't even an offensive touchdown, right? It was like a, a fake punt, I think, for a touchdown, or fake field goal for a touchdown. Fake punt. So I just I couldn't explain it. Like we knew this Tennessee defense has been you know susceptible at times this year, but. 
they've also kind of come along like 44 to six, I think against Kentucky, right? Like they've, you've seen some better defensive performances. I don't know. It was hard to explain what you saw other than, I don't know, is Tennessee looking ahead? They're not looking ahead to Vanderbilt. Like all they had to do is beat South Carolina and Vanderbilt and they're in the college football playoff most likely. Just like, obviously there's still a scenario, like you said, that they don't get in, but the probability it was it was very it was very probable for Tennessee to get in the college football playoff but I don't know I it, you start to have to ask questions like is this like is is Heupel's philosophy like is it is it ever going to like have a good defense like do you need to adjust something if, you, if you're going to have the ball for 20 25 minutes a game and you're going to have your defense on the field for 35 40 minutes a game like is is this always going to be an issue for Tennessee to to have a but uh, uh, an above average defense well i think the fact that this class in 2023 is so defense focused i think he knows you listen to hypo talk he knows like hypo hypo understands like the man won a title do people forget this like he won it at oklahoma like the man won a title he knows what a it quarterback takes. no but he understands that what kind of defense you need to win a national? I mean, it's two thousand. That's a that's a completely different game, though, right? I mean, that's his He's style. That's not the style game. Tennessee's playing. Yeah, but I'm saying well, was like, Josh Heupel throwing like fourteen touchdown passes that that year or something? Like, I'm sure it was pretty. Oklahoma's winning with defense. What I'm saying is that the man understands that the defense has to be better. Um, yeah. He is recruiting in that way. Like Devin Hobbs, the five star defensive tackle who Tennessee is in a final dogfight with. Pardon the pun with Devin Hobbs this week. Um, the, he's leaning. The crystal ball is going Devin Hobbs to Tennessee. Like they brought in Shadavian Bradley, Joshua Josephs, and Tyke. Like you look at where he's putting a bunch of resources. The defense is a priority. The defense has yeah. to get better. He understands the defense has to get better. Um, everyone at the university, and I'm sure he just gets calls about it all the time like i can only imagine what folks are like if he goes anywhere of like hey what are, what are we doing with the secondary well what are we doing we understand but it's also a great place to be and this is what i would encourage tennessee fans who are feeling down about this it's just that like 10 wins is still very much on the table double digit wins all that kind of stuff i don't see the offense falling off a cliff ever like i think with the recruiting with what he is able to do with a player that wasn't even his quarterback in Hinden hooker who committed to jeremy pruitt and wasn't the day one starter. Um, the culture he has, where Joe Milton stayed this whole time, and the two have just become close friends. You look at um, who he's brought in. I think they'll do well in the portal this winter. I think they're going to get a big surprise there. Um, with some folks who are like, whoa. Um, NIL is still super strong at Tennessee. Tennessee is one of the best NIL uh, situations, I would say, across the country. That's going to keep them uh and and focus but it's like it's the opposite of the jimbo thing where it's like jimbo praised the offense up but there's no offense like there's they were lifeless like this is a train wreck it could be way worse um you got upended learn from it accept it like like uh hypo said like this needs to stick with you be like man we cannot let this happen again next year we gotta we gotta make sure this stuff gets cleaned up and that we take every week seriously and we make sure that we execute and just get more depth. Like the secondary was out of body. I thought we were going to be uh, go the walk on route with Wesley Wright at corner at one point in this one. But you, I mean, you just need more bodies. You need more experience. This was an experience game for them. And what I wrote was like, this team was never winning the national title anyway. Like you look at that secondary in this pass rush, it's not good enough. Like they were never on the gauntlet with this group. So it's maybe even better that they didn't get embarrassed in the college football playoff because I think 
Ohio State, Georgia, whoever would have no, beaten them. No, you can't say that. The actual to have a playoff appearance, like that's a tangible like accomplishment as a coach. Like if Heupel has a playoff appearance, he's what one of like seven coaches, active coaches with even a playoff appearance. It's not a very high number. Like mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many it is, but like that's that that completely changes the just where Tennessee is on the grand scheme of college football. If you're talked about being in the playoff for that entire month of December, just the anticipation of the Tennessee Ohio state game or whatever it is, the rematch with Georgia, like just all of that talk around the program, I think is just recruiting in itself. I think that's why it's such a big loss because it's like Tennessee is just essentially robbed of, of that just for the final month of this year. You know, it's like, it's, but it's easily sellable to recruits of like we're ahead of schedule and you saw yeah. these offenses and all those recruits are in the building for what they saw against Bama. Like they beat Alabama this year. Um, that's still happened. They still went into Baton Rouge and beat the crap out of uh, LSU who will be in the SEC title game. Those wins all happened and they happened in front of the recruits. They're not going anywhere. And it's also kind of like, hey, you can point to these kids and be like, you're our missing link. Like you saw how close we were yeah. without you. You're that final piece to get us there like you're it like this is the final final piece and you the hypo offense and play caller stuff isn't going anywhere shane beamer's a ceo coach like that's that's scary if you're a south carolina fan it's like if satterfield leaves or the right assistants aren't in there then you're in trouble like hey i think he showed why he was co-sec coach of the year in 2021 sir i'm not gonna be rude <laughs> about like look win with class lose with class i'm not gonna bury south carolina i made a joke about like their pat their history but I, that's my one thing it's not even just like being rude it's just more of like the reality is this was not a breakthrough moment for south carolina i think even south carolina fans would admit still an absurd amount of work to do you have won the sec east one time since you've I, been see, there i would kind of disagree though they're sitting at seven and four right now like, seven and five they are going into death valley next week where the team has not lost a home game in 40 40 I mean, games that's true but clemson has been far from perfect like are we doing Tennessee, this Tennessee's are we saying a much better, now are we doing Tennessee's this a much better team than clemson wouldn't you agree like i'm, I don't I'm know. favoring clemson's tennessee defense is legit clemson's i'm favoring defense. tennessee by two touchdowns at on a neutral field versus clemson like i I think Clemson has been much more flawed. That's my only point. Like South Carolina, based on what they did in the previous 10 games, shouldn't have beaten uh, Tennessee. Like there was nothing that you could really point to tangibly to say, yeah, South Carolina's going to beat Tennessee. So road uh, games now, are a different animal, now man. Now we're looking at the Clemson, we can at least say, look, they just beat Tennessee. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to just count them out for potentially beating Clemson. So we're saying but- South Carolina is winning back-to-back top 10 games, one on the road, one <laughs> one at home. I'm saying I, two uh, we, two days ago I would have said it was ridiculous, but now they've beaten Tennessee. Now it's, it's a little ridiculous. different. No, um, and they've at least beat one of them. It's a it's a lot more probable than it was a couple of days ago. But I'm not going to most likely pick South Carolina to beat Clemson. But I, it's, but I mean, it's we're possible. The program. They, My they, point. We have to play the games, and they could go eight and four. But still, seven and five with with their schedule and kind of what people talked about coming into the year, like. Seven and five is a better year than last year. So, oh my goodness, eight, six and six eight and, and five, eight and five. If he could potentially win the win the Gator Bowl, the the Tax Slayer Bowl, or the Outback Bowl, something like that for for South Carolina, the Outback Bowl. They changed that one too, didn't they? Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's obviously a it is a huge win for South Carolina. But last thing I'll say, um, 
are these these uniform or these helmets? Are they burned forever for Tennessee? Are they ever wear these again? Or it's a good or question. I don't they know. They lock them up like just bad juju. I will say, seeing them on the field, I didn't hate the idea of the concept. Seeing them on the field, I wasn't a fan. It's like this just isn't Tennessee. Look, it looked like Clemson, honestly. It did look uh, a lot like Clemson. <laughs> like just seeing them play. So yeah, they might be tossed. I not, wouldn't be surprised. Not a terrible if they're alternate, but um, they got the they got the smoky grays, even the black. I think this is one too many. So keep keep doing <laughs> what you're doing, Tennessee. I respect it. Respect the alternate game. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but look. Kentucky just locked up Mark Stoops for an extension. They're not going anywhere. You know the defense is always going to be there. Um, we'll get into what they did against your uh, Bulldogs this weekend, but Tennessee's not going anywhere. Florida's a wild card, and Georgia's obviously the juggernaut. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't see it. Uh, There's still a wall. There's still a ceiling at South Carolina. The history is they're a 500 ball club all time. This is there's a ceiling, and they're not. They're not winning 10 games with Shane Beamer. They're not winning 11 games. It's not mm. happening. I'm just... That's and look, bold. They, it's not Ever? happening. They go to Tennessee and Georgia next year. Hey, who, who knows? Who knows what could happen, man? I will also go ahead and put this on record. Tennessee, we talk about jotting stuff down and like, oh, as the teams around the SEC are going to jot down Hypel running it up on Eli Drinkwitz. Josh Hypel jotted down the end of that South Carolina game and South Carolina has to come back to knoxville next year what uh what's what's he jotting down you thought 66 was cute we're going 70 like we're we're going 70 on the gamecocks next year i mean i mean they just went for 63 so they might go for 70 next year i don't know we play them in september <laughs> next year matt green which is another part of this i don't know why they we got go- rattler back next year who knows he could take the step take the next step <clears throat> we'll see I might put on my put up a mortgage payment for Tennessee beating South Carolina at home next year. But look, we'll get to hey, that. We have a lot of time that. before. I bet you probably would have done that this past week. No, too, I wouldn't though. have. I, I predicted them losing before this season. <laughs> no, but you didn't really think they were going to lose this game. They, they we were talked 20... about it. I said, I'm, I'm like, I don't feel good about it. I said on the we, pod. We, you picked them to cover. They're like yeah, 22 I mean, and I didn't pick them to lose, favor. but I didn't feel great about it. The whole week, uh, I didn't feel great about it. Oh, you picked them to win by three touchdowns. That's I did, and they should have. They were a three-touchdown favorite. They really should have. Tennessee should have, but South Carolina, again, I don't want to rain on their parade. Those fans deserve happiness. They won a big game. They blew them out. And Social media game was strong. The uh, the Rocky Top and Sandstorm uh, mm-hmm. jokes they were making, those were some quality content from the Gamecock uh, official account. That's all I'll say. Right. But there were other games that happened this weekend. Yes. So go Gamecocks. Great win for you guys. Enjoy it. Savor it. And we'll come back to me after uh, the Clemson game on Saturday. Um, Matt Green, where are we going next? Um, I feel like the biggest uh, the biggest game after that was probably USC-UCLA. I felt like uh, was that a Heisman performance Caleb Williams put on on, uh, on Saturday night? It, it kind of felt that way. I mean, it was a statement game for him. DTR, three picks. He struggled, but he had a he was great on the ground uh, in this one. It was a good back and forth uh, for the majority of this one. I don't know. It's hard to say uh, with the Heisman. I don't even know who my favorite is. Like this has just been such a weird year for the Heisman now. That I mean, I guess it was a Heisman type game for him. But I really don't have a strong opinion on who the best player in the country has been this year. I think who it's a pretty. Who do you think? Yeah, like who's in that Heisman conversation right now? Like I guess Hendon Hooker's out two losses and now he's injured 
Um, he was obviously in that conversation. But I don't know who they put in from Georgia. That's the complicated part. Like someone from Georgia has to go to New York. I just don't know who they put. No, there's Georgia's not gonna have anybody. Like if I Stetson, if Stetson had, if Stetson honestly just had the the touchdown numbers he had a year ago, like I think he was like 27, 29 touchdowns or something, like seven picks. If he had those touchdown to pick numbers compared to like what he's actually doing, like he, I think he's like second in the SEC in yards this year, like might have more yards than CJ Stroud this year. Um, so he's well, got the, the yards, odds right but now. he doesn't have the uh, touchdowns. Like if Stetson had the touchdown numbers, he would be there. But I mean, you saw what they did against Kentucky. It wasn't exactly a Heisman performance uh, from Stetson. Well, the betting odd favorite right now is CJ Stroud minus one twenty. Uh, Caleb Williams is in second at plus one thirty. Blake Corum plus forty. So it's basically just between Stroud and Caleb Williams at this point because there's a huge drop off after those two. So yeah, it's probably one of the two. I think with Michigan, Ohio State, I think Blake Corum's got an opportunity to to have like a, a Heisman type uh, statement game. But I think um, honestly. Like, I hate how it has to be kind of this formula for a Heisman. Because, like, Chase Brown, what he did against uh, Michigan, like, he's leading the country in, in rushing. Like, this guy, he's one of the best players in college football, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, obviously, Drake May was in that conversation maybe until this loss uh, to Georgia Tech uh, this past week. But, like, there, there are more guys to have in that conversation. I also think uh, uh, Max Duggan. I mean, this guy, he just makes t- TCU's offense go. This team's... This fits the formula, right? Like ten and zero or eleven and zero, like a uh, quarterback with the the dual threat stats. Like Max Duggan belongs in, in New York. Well, we'll get into Max Duggan in that TCU game because I think that was probably the the game of the day. But we'll get into that one in a second. Um, I will say uh, UCLA just cannot get over the hump, which is unfortunate because it's been a great year for them. Big opportunity the Rose Bowl and they still just cannot get over that Southern Cal hump. Um, I don't know. Uh, the three picks were bad for DTR. Jordan Addison was huge uh, for USC through the air. I will say USC should be bigger villains than Tennessee. Like they should be the villains of college football. And I don't really understand why they're the likable <laughs> ones. Like Lincoln Riley admits this week that like, yeah, I did. I maybe shouldn't have done it the way I did uh, in leaving Oklahoma. Uh, made some mistakes in the way that ended. Uh, paraphrasing, but uh, very uh, just open about like it did not end well and um, taking some blame for that. And then just bringing in Jordan Addison from Pitt where he was a Blitnikoff uh, favorite and just the way that happened was pretty shady. Um, and bringing half the Oklahoma roster, it felt like, over to USD and just creating this ultimate transfer portal team and uh, obviously with all this talent that was already in the building being in Southern California. I don't know. They feel like should they should be humongous villains that everyone should be rooting against. So, like, you don't want teams that can just flip their roster on a dime like this and uh, run the gauntlet and maybe even win a title. You don't want it. I think it's because... Like the college football media, and maybe just subconsciously, the the fans do kind of want this geographical balance, and they hmm. they want the they want the best team in the Pac-12 to be a worthy adversary. You know, they want like the Oregon's, and they want they want to see you know the be- the best from your neighborhood versus the best from our neighborhood kind of thing. You know, it's that just that creates better drama, creates better storylines than like. Oh yeah, there's three SEC teams in the top five. Which SEC team is the best? Like, we'll figure it out. Like, so I don't know. I think there's just there's kind of this desire, especially 
obviously Tennessee's a big time. You'd probably classify them as a sleeping giant. Um, that that's 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 come back. But USC is one of those blue bloods that they're like Texas. That people just they just wanted them to be back all the time. You know, it's like they feel like the sport is better when USC is good. You know, there's there's that whole talk. Like people say the same about Tennessee, but USC is just they are a bigger national brand. But but yeah, you definitely make an a, a valid point. Like they've done way more villain type things, just raiding other teams' rosters uh, to take them out to California. But I don't know, is what it is. I um I feel like their their chances of running the table, I think just they they got a lot higher after this win because I felt like this was the biggest obstacle uh, left on their in their path. Like obviously, do you Oregon think it's a bigger game. obstacle than Notre Dame? Yeah, I definitely thought this was going to be a tougher game than the Notre Dame one. I, I I respect UCLA much more than um than I do Notre Dame. Like I think they have an identity offensively. Like obviously this this defense has gotten torched like five six weeks in a row now, but. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not impressed with Notre Dame. Like I, I think. I think 20 points can beat Notre Dame uh, next week. Like I think if this was going to take a shootout, and I, and like you saw the way, just with how balanced uh, UCLA is. Like Zach Charbonnet. I don't say this lightly. I get Nick Chubb vibes from some from Zach Charbonnet. He's he's a workhorse man. Um, but yeah, I mean they were able to contain him, but he still had 95 yards on the ground. Um, 20 DTR, carries though, right? Like he, DTR is just a super dynamic athlete, but I just I'm saying what UCLA has to offer instead of compared to Notre Dame. I feel like this was going to be a bigger challenge. Um, I wish we could get that 11 and one Oregon versus 11 and one uh, USC uh, in the Pac-12 championship. That would have been the sexiest matchup by far. But um, I just have a feeling. I'm, like I said, I did say this was their biggest obstacle, but it still seems tough uh, for a one loss to, to beat Oregon after potentially Notre Dame, like you're talking. It's it's not going to be easy for USC to still get in the playoff. And what happens at that point? I think do is that what we need to start talking? Like, if T if USC is a two loss Pac-12 champion, who is the fourth team? And I'm. I feel like I feel just crazy. Like we just totally, we may have potentially ruined the sport with this twelve-team playoff thing. Like, I think we just totally reacted, overreacted to this era of Alabama and Clemson dominance. It was just unprecedented, and we're like, you know, this is terrible. We can't just have the same two teams every year. But it's like we're not going to. That was just a crazy like five, six-year period. Like, we, we, I feel like we're struggling to find four legit teams based on the criteria that we like all like understand about college football right if like if you're explaining this this sport to a to a person from another country it's like what do you mean you you lose one game and and maybe your season's over depending on what where you're located in the country but but if they lose one game their season's maybe not over but two games their season is over and it's like there's no tournament like it's it's a confusing sport but why do we need to? We don't need to explain the sports to anybody else. We all understand that college football. It's it, you have to be almost perfect to win. And I felt like the four-team playoff, it just made it. You don't have to be completely perfect, right? We it gives you a little wiggle room, a little room for error. And and right now, like we're looking at Georgia and Ohio State, and I, you have to include Michigan and TCU because they're they are undefeated right now. It feels like there's you know a little drop off maybe after three or four. But after that, like if, if we see if we see TCU lose, they're a one loss conference champion. I mean, do they still have a case of getting in the playoff? Like, I mean, I 
does Clemson still have a shot? Like, I don't know. I just. I think both Michigan and Ohio State are now in. I think they're the biggest winners from this weekend. Well, not no, not unless USC and TCU run the table. You're just saying I don't you don't think, think so. That's I think happen. they're still going to stay in. I think Michigan and TC or Michigan and Ohio State have now, as long as Ohio State, whoever wins that game next week, um, I think the loser of that game and the winner, I think they're both in. And then I think you're looking at Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and then probably a battle to the end between TCU and USC. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess Michigan. If TCU and USC went out, they're in. Michigan's not not in. But if, if either of those gets tripped up, I think you're right. Michigan just think, take the t- they took they took the Tennessee spot basically. I think there's I think TCU if they're a twelve and one Big Twelve champion, I I think you could still make a big argument for them um, to get in that last spot. But well, speaking I don't know. of TCU, let's talk about TCU. Yeah, they had a crazy game against Baylor, and I will say part of the appeal of Tennessee no longer being a team. Uh, fighting for the playoff i can not root against them now or i can root uh yes i said it for the first time i cannot root against them now because they're just fun and i'm sitting there rooting for baylor all afternoon and look thank you for not coaching baylor bears because that was just that final drive of just doing nothing with it was brutal and giving the ball back to tcu and they immediately drive down the field max duggan some great plays both with his feet uh with his legs and obviously getting them to run on the field the way they did and get that off was just ballsy by Sunny Dykes. And it was just, it was awesome. Like TCU is the team of destiny and they've just been college football's greatest story. I think this year. And I want to see them in the playoff. I want to see this happen. They're kind of like the team I can now latch onto being like, all right, I had to kind of root against you. Cause I didn't, uh, I wanted to see the, the CFP, but now it's like, man, they're, they're a lot of fun. And the, it's just, they win this way week after week. I will say, I still think this comes to an end. I think at some point, if Baylor's quarterback, Blake Shapin, is even a half-decent quarterback, TCU loses this game. I could not get over how bad Blake Shapin... I could not imagine being a Baylor fan. I've never... Like, this is the first week this year that I've watched every single snap that Blake Shapin uh, took. Awful. Strong Jarek Garantano vibes. Just not good whatsoever. Every throw is a interception waiting like <laughs> interception and waiting and it's rough um not a blake shaping guy whatsoever here but um i don't know i think this was huge uh for tcu crazy ending we won't see stuff like that um ever again but man fourth and what two and you're you're you have nothing to play for if you're baylor nothing like you're not going like just do it like you've been running the ball well Go for it. If you get a first down there, the game is over. And they didn't do it. They they punted, obviously, and TCU gets the ball in good field position and immediately goes down and kicks the field goal. Like, fourth and two? You're, what, what are you preserving? You've already got three losses. Like, what are you doing? Just go for that. I was stunned they didn't go for it. Uh, but on but, their own 26? Yeah. TCU was going to go down the field anyway. I mean, there's what a minute and a half left. I don't know. I think you get the first down. The game right is there. over. The game is over. I mean, didn't we just talk about Dan Lanning last week? Like different. He went Dan for Lanning that was one? he was in a position of strength. Here's the difference: Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks were playing for a college football playoff. The Baylor Bears are playing for the Duke Mayo Bowl. What are we talking about? Like, no, the stakes were completely different. I think you're up too. You can't just 
you can't just put a team in field goal range. Like you can't. I would do it. I would have gone for it. I feel like that's uh, that's bold. But I um, man, this was almost just potentially disastrous. Honestly, like with how this uh, they were in the perfect fire drill here at mm-hmm. the end. But um, I feel like with on second and seven or whatever it was second down. There's like 25 seconds. Like they had plenty of time to just run a play on second down, and then when you know whatever happens, come spike it on third and set up the field goal. But to spike it on second, I'm just sitting here like, okay, so what are they gonna do? Like they're gonna just are they just gonna throw it out of the back of the end zone? Or I, I had no idea what they were gonna try to do because. Like you run the ball, the clock is running. You're just gonna run the field goal team on, and that's exactly what they did. And it was, I don't know, it was beautiful. Like it was just uh, there. It, there wasn't like necessarily many marquee games this week, but man, we got we got an incredible Saturday. This was probably this honestly was probably the best game of all of them. I would agree with that. Um, let's go to Michigan and Illinois next. Uh, Michigan uh, takes care of business late. Another walk off field goal in this one. Um, or basically they Illinois, uh, who Tommy DeVito does a check down in the second to last pass was just bonkers to me. Um, when you've got basically no time and you got to go downfield, not throwing something up and just doing a check down over the middle was, was bonkers stuff. But, um, look, Better than Anthony Richardson, that's true. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on that one, but, uh, Michigan survives. They win, beat Illinois. Great effort from Illinois' defense all day long. My main takeaway, I mean, obviously you hope Blake Corum is okay. Uh, Edwards is already out, so they're banged up at the worst possible time, but we'll see if Blake Corum's a go. Uh, scary situation there with his knee. J.J. McCarthy's just not it. Like, I, I don't know what we're doing with J.J. McCarthy here, mm. but DJU gets a lot of hate, right? Like, DJU gets a lot of, a lot of vitriol. Five-star kid, a savior, like should it be the next guy right after uh, Trevor Lawrence? I mean, I don't see it with JJ. Like, I'm not saying flip back to Cade, but he's hey, no CJ Stroud. He's, he's no Stetson. He's no Hinden. Huh? Uh, JJ McCarthy's not getting Dr. Pepper commercials. That's why no, he doesn't get as much hate. But 18, <laughs> when he's off, man, bad JJ throws are bonkers. Like, they're bad, bad. Like, ooh, I don't know where they're going. Um, 18 to 34, 208, 6.1 yards per attempt, 46.7 quarterback rating. Chase Brown had a huge day for Illinois on the ground. But, hey, Michigan survives again. But I don't know. I'm just not a believer in that offense out uh, and what J.J. McCarthy might have to do for them to actually win a title. Just, he's not a national title quarterback to me. What was your takeaway? Yeah, I think that's fair. And you saw like this offense without without Corum in the game in the second half. Like this team, like this offense did just just about nothing. Like this this is this felt like a pretty big missed opportunity for Illinois. As as good of a game as they played, like for for Michigan star to to go out and miss basically the entire second half and you know, Chase Brown, you'd be able to run the ball how you wanted, like this game kind of went ha- the way Illinois wanted it to go and for you still not to be able to pull it out like for 19 points to win this game like if you told Brett Bielema 19 points is what it's going to take to win this game he's taking that 10 times out of 10 but uh unfortunately Illinois couldn't get it done and um it's set up I I, I wasn't sure where to go with this one right when you're a neutral sided fan you're just always like upset city let's go let's see let's see chaos I just want to I want to see some upsets but because this Michigan Ohio State this two versus three matchup is so big, like 
part of me like didn't want it to be ruined. I, I want that. Uh, I want that big time matchup on Big Noon next week. There you go. Um, next, um, West Virginia, your Mountaineers go down, fall to four and seven against Kansas State. Uh, this was interesting because it was all through the air. Deuce Vaughn was kept in check by West Virginia's defense. Uh, they did this through the air, 19 and 27, 294, 10.9 yards per attempt for Will Howard in this one, two TDs, one pick. Um, hey, Kansas State shown they can win in different ways, and they are very much on their way to a collision course uh, with TCU in the Big 12 title game, and Neil Brown is on a collision course for heading back to the Sun Belt. Matt Green, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I think uh, you said it. Will Howard, uh, when he's in the game, this Kansas State offense just looks a little bit different. So, uh, yeah, they're looking like – I think they, they still haven't clinched it, right? Or did they clinch it this week? They can, I don't they think still they have to win it. next week to uh, to get in the – to clinch the Big 12 – uh, title appearance, I believe. So I, I think they're going to do it. Uh, they probably gave TCU. I mean, TCU's had a bunch of close ones, but they gave them one of their better games uh, all season. So I think I'd be down to see round two. There you go. Uh, let's see. We should hit Kansas, Texas next. So Kansas gets absolutely destroyed by Texas in this one. A um, lot of huge running days in this one, I noticed, across college football. Chase Brown, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, who we'll get into Bijan Robinson, probably the biggest of all, uh, 25 carries, 243, 9.7 yards per attempt, four TDs, 31 nothing at the half for Texas. I mean, an all-timer by Bijan. And we talk about Heisman. Why is he not in the conversation? Why doesn't he have higher odds? I mean, Bijan is, he's special, man. Like, that was bonkers. And they absolutely upended uh, the Jayhawks. Yeah, it's it's just the whole narrative and everything, right? Like he's definitely the got that star that star quality. Like he's got what over fourteen hundred yards in the on the season. Like, um, and he also he's super productive uh, receiving too. He's he's one of the best players in college football without a doubt. But he's on a seven and four team, and it's just not how we do things anymore. Like ricky williams i think they went like six and six his senior year in college but everyone could see yeah like this is the best player in college football so you know we gave it to a receiver a couple years ago you know we got jordan davis getting some some legit uh first play uh some legit votes as a as a nose tackle you know we're making some progress here uh maybe we can get back to it being truly the the best college football player in the country Maybe, maybe. Uh, where we won't see that is in Minnesota and Iowa. Matt Green, Iowa wins thirteen ten, and there was a funny gif of like they can't just keep getting away with it from uh, Breaking Bad with Jesse years ago um, with Iowa football, who are now on track to win the Big Ten West. Uh, it's just down to them and Purdue. Uh, but I said a couple weeks ago, there Iowa is going to do this. You're all going to hate it. You're going to eat your vegetables, and Iowa's just going to find their way to still somehow win the Big Ten West. But um, great Sam Laporta game. Spencer uh, Petrus uh, actually did some stuff downfield uh, in this one, but backup quarterback in for Minnesota. No Tanner Morgan. He was just completely inept. Uh, Muhammad Ibrahim did as much as he could on the ground, but just not enough this was this was rough uh watched a lot of this one um in between uh the ohio state maryland game and the georgia game so followed these three pretty closely and man iowa their defense is still great but goodness gracious i 
who wants this in the Big t- Big Ten title game? This Iowa team uh, is, is in for it if that's ultimately what happens here. Yeah, this is not what anybody wants. I feel like Purdue and Illinois feel like the two best teams in the West. But, uh, yep. but here we are. Iowa beat them, what was it, 24-3, to I want to say, uh, head-to-head mm. against Purdue. So, yeah, we're going to see another uh, what Ohio, Ohio State versus a team that's they're – clearly overmatched against in the in the big 10 championship it's a yearly tradition we could Although get guess a you got rematch michigan versus, uh, you got michigan versus uh, uh got to give the beat down to iowa last year so i don't i don't know i don't think it'll be much different if, if we see michigan iowa uh this year in the in the big 10 championship but yeah uh minnesota uh you picked them right uh your, your big 10 west uh winner Oh, start before the year? the year, Minnesota. I think so. Yeah, I think you pulled the trigger. I wanted. I thought about doing it, but um, who did you pick? You picked Purdue, didn't you? Shoot, I may have picked Wisconsin. I'm not even sure. I'll have to Let's go, go with Wisconsin. That back. works better for me. I'll have to go back and look, but yeah, I think I think Iowa's got it. Basically, they just have to beat Nebraska. Which I mean, who knows? Iowa, they could lose any game. They could win any game. So the Big Ten West is far from decided uh georgia struggles uh to get through a kentucky team on the road um this was a weird game throughout um will levis had some good throws i saw but um this was this was just rough and i don't really understand it kenny mcintosh had a great game um but i will leave this game to you matt green seemed like coming out a lot of folks were like just i don't know why you're blaming on sets and the receivers just can't get separation and there was just i don't know where you want them to throw it um the defense obviously was extremely dominant uh for georgia once again but i don't know the offense just kind of did not find the big plays and did not uh really have any of those in this one it was just kind of a quiet uh quiet win but the game i'd never felt was in doubt but it was just one of those i don't know kind of slogs that uh it's kind of frustrating some georgia fans so what did you see and what actually happened in georgia kentucky yeah, I would say the the game was in doubt for about like ten seconds, right? Like so, it was really in terms Before of the it staying field goal. close. I'll, I'll, yeah, basically. So I'll I'll get to that. But before the um, as far as it staying close in the first half, Georgia only had the ball three times in the entire first half, and and the last hmm. one was like a two minute drill situation, maybe not even two minutes. Um, and they got three field goals. So the, the last one, it was you still drove down, but it's like that was like considered like a quality drive to get a field goal before the half. But the first two drives, like they moved it fairly easily down the field, but then you know get into the red zone, get in that goal to go situation, and they really weren't able to do anything. And I, I saw Graham Coffee with a, a tweet about it, kind of talking about Georgia's um, struggles in the short yardage uh, these last couple weeks. I think it's like nine. Um, nine whatever in three goal and goal to go from the three yard line they've had like nine plays like that uh in the last two weeks and they haven't converted any of them so Hmm. i think they've they've i think over half the plays they've lost yardage so kind of surprising with what kind of this georgia's identity is of just being such a physical run first type of team you you've seen them pass a lot more uh this year uh, just clearly looking at stetson's stats but just I mean, you look at the running game, like for, for us to be this far in the season and, and Georgia's top, top, uh, backs have like, you know, 400 yards, 500 yards on the season. Like you, you haven't really seen like Kenny McIntosh feels like the kind of the alpha of this group, but you know, 
we've seen all of them fumble. So it's like, you know, there's not really a, a truly reliable guy. Milton's had some injuries. Dejon Edwards is, you know, he's had his good moments. But, yeah, right now McIntosh at 568, Edwards at 547. Both of them have seven touchdowns, both averaging five yards a carry. Like, it's solid, but it's not the typical, you know, kind of dominant two backs like Georgia usually has. Like James Cook and Zamir White were even a kind of a step down from what they usually have. And I would, I feel like this group seems a, a little worse than that. But yeah, I, in terms of this game staying close, I think Georgia's got to get touchdowns when they get in the red zone, which I think has been like they're number one in the country in terms of red zone scoring percentage. But in terms of getting actual touchdowns in the red zone, I think they still need to show a lot of improvement there. But yeah, I, I felt like, so they're up 16-0 in the fourth quarter and they decide to go for it on on fourth and goal from the one, which, you know, it, it's it's not it's not the worst decision because you know go up 23-0 potentially in the game. I just personally felt like sixteen is a potentially still two touchdowns and two two point conversions. So nineteen kind of gave you that more that truly three score lead. So, but you're also I mean I literally texting with my brother like. I mean, is Kentucky really going to drive 99 yards on us? So, yeah, like, let's go for it. And then who knew? Sure enough, Will Levis, they put together a 99-yard scoring drive. So I would say Mostly once Kentucky – Yeah, exactly. And just some 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 weird deep balls. Like, you just mm-hmm. saw Georgia get beat with a lot of deep balls and just where they didn't really seem to know where the ball was. So little a lot of coverage issues, I thought, in this one. But um, obviously, they still give up six points, so it couldn't be couldn't have been that bad of a defensive performance. But but yeah, once they scored that touchdown, went sixteen to six, and they're going for two. I think that's the one point in the game that Georgia fans are like, okay, if they if they convert this two point conversion, like this this is a game on our hands. But then they miss, they don't convert that, then it's still a ten point game. They obviously had the the other drive late where they they missed the field goal, but. I don't. I'm not really sure what happened there. One of the one of the worst. Oh, I guess it was the the bad snap on that one. So that's maybe not maybe not an all not necessarily all on the kicker, but yeah. Oh, a weird game for sure. Uh, for for Georgia, I think this was. Um, so let me see. This and Kirby is five and four since 2017 uh, when Georgia scores 20 points or less. Um, you don't like to see a t- your team score 20 points or less, but um, it is good to know that Georgia can win kind of a, a dirty game like this where the offense isn't necessarily uh, moving like you want. But, yeah, 16-6, to six, uh, not, not pretty, but you'll take it. There you go. Um, they'll be fine. And a win is a win, Matt Green. Uh, opposite uh, in um – why am I blanking on where actual Arkansas is? Why am I blanking on where they actually play? Um, uh, Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Oh my goodness! I could not. I could not place that for a second. Um, they blow out uh, Ole Miss in this one. There was a moment where they were chanting Auburn and uh, Lane Kiffin in this one. Um, this was this was rough, man. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you're pretty nervous, I think, coming out of this one. But this was over at the half. Uh, Arkansas jumped out all over. Uh, Arkansas, the offense was just completely bad. KJ Jefferson played a nearly perfect game. I think he was like 78-22, just did stuff through the air on the ground, this, that, and the other. Raheem Sanders was uh, a monster. He goes over 200 yards. Uh, Quinchon Judkins of uh, Old Miss also goes over 200 yards. Difference, though, Jackson Dart was meh. The defense imploded, and 
just a perfect, perfect game. And one that, man, Arkansas really, really needed with the kind of season from hell that they're having. That was a statement went up like, all right, we're fine. We're, we're fine. And, uh, you know, good one for Arkansas. What'd you make of it? Absolutely, sir. Never, never doubt it for a second. Zeus is home dog of the week. Those Razorbacks, man. And, and it was exactly like Ole Miss has been fraudulent. All right. I've been an Ole Miss hater all year. I'm, I'm, I'm staying on it. They, this, this is who they've been all year. Like they've played when they've played anyone with a pulse, they've pretty much exposed them. Like they they could have lost every game they've played against a team that's actually half decent. Like honest, honestly, like you look at Kentucky game, look at the A&M game. A&M isn't even half decent and they could have beaten Ole Miss. Obviously Alabama and and now Arkansas. They just got absolutely shredded. Like Rocket Sanders, it was I don't know, it felt like you're playing NCAA football on on varsity uh difficulty. Like it was just it was ridiculous. Every single carry, he's just to the next, who to the second level, like immediately. Like it was just, just so much space to run. And so you just, he averaged nine point seven yards a carry in this game. It was a, uh, it was just an absolute clinic. Up forty two to six going into the fourth quarter in this one. Like just a beatdown, a a crazy game. Like I was trying to find some stats on it. Ole Miss ended up having 700 total yards in this game. Like, they got destroyed, had two 200-yard rushers and almost 700 yards of, and over 700 yards of offense. I found a game from 2018 where um, I want to say it was Holy Cross. Uh, no, it was Davidson. Davidson had, like, 780 yards rushing. I think it's, like, an NCAA record. These two teams combined for – almost 800 yards 798 yards rushing in this game like it wasn't as much as that as that davidson game they had like 850 combined with the two teams but i couldn't find a uh, a game where two teams rushed for this many yards it was insane um arkansas needed this win bad i think ole miss still shows that they can't stop the run but one thing i i was i wanted to clarify with you about this game sir um you said this was a blowout correct Yes. There's a lot of Tennessee fans that didn't think that the Georgia game was a blowout. Mm-hmm. Right? Did you think the Georgia game was a blowout? Because I'm looking at the score line. They won by two touchdowns here. But I just wanted some Tennessee fans to understand that the final score can sometimes lie about the domination that went down in the game. Well... Part of it was 21 points in the fourth quarter by uh, Ole Miss. This game was 30, what, 35-6 at the half? Yeah, 35-6 at the half. I think it's a, this was a little more egregious. I, no, I, I don't true. think this is the same. I don't. I would not say this is the same. It was. I would a, not say that Tennessee, it was a dominant performance that ended up being like a two touchdown win in the end, though. Like we know, it was still different. Like Georgia Tennessee was even different than south carolina tennessee like that was a true just blowout blowout i yeah i don't know like the offensive points make it feel worse we'll also never know because of the rain we don't know how curry would have approached the second half without the rain because there's two competing thoughts is was he gonna always sit on it and go for the nine minute death march drive and just keep the ball out of tennessee's hands and just keep the score low or the weather's good. Does he go for the jugular and keep scoring on Tennessee in the second half? I don't know. 
we shall never know. But um, no, I didn't want to. Didn't want to twist the twist the knife in the wound or anything. But uh, I just found that interesting because I saw a lot of the same headlines of you know being blowouts. But uh, but yeah, I would say this was a blowout, man. Like you look at the half and the half score just being dead. Like Tennessee still had a chance to win in the second half if things go right. They got the ball back, start the second half. Like they they needed a lot of help. Things went their way, but it was not over. This game was over at the half where it's like 35-6. Like you're not coming back on the It right wasn't team. Georgia. It's like it you it felt over because you're like we Tennessee can't move the ball on this team. But in terms of mathematically just being insurmountable, it wasn't it wasn't the same type of blowout loss, no. No. Um next up Oklahoma, which I thought was going to be much more of a blowout than it ended up being. They could jump out to a 28-0 first quarter lead. Uh, they don't score again after that, but look, they beat down uh, Oklahoma State early. Uh, Spencer Sanders, though, threw the ball 67 times in this one, Mac. How is that possible? They cannot run the football whatsoever. Ty Warren being gone has really hurt them, but that is indefensible. I don't understand how uh, that was the case, but man, Oklahoma State just can't close. And Norman, this is a gettable year for the Cowboys to beat the Sooners with the kind of trouble they're having. Big win for OU, though, and Brent Venables in his program kind of calming the the nerves there a little bit. But goodness gracious, terrible loss for Oklahoma State. 67 yeah. passes is bonkers. Spencer Sanders' is ninth career uh, multi-interception game. Mm. Um, this game was lost in the first quarter, like you said. So Oklahoma's first six drives, four touchdowns. Oklahoma State's first seven drives, four punts, three interceptions. That's not, that's, that's not what you want. The last, last 12 drives of the game for Oklahoma, they had 10 punts, a pick, and a turnover on downs. They did nothing for the last three quarters, but it, uh, it didn't really matter when you're up 28-0 after the end of the first. Mm. Uh, well, we can also look at this final one, Matt Green. We had Oregon surviving super late against Utah. Um, Utah looked good uh, in this one in the second half, really fighting. This game was... I mean, could have gotten out of hand for Oregon. It does not. Cam Rising, no TDs, three picks. Rough game for him. Um, Dante Thornton had a great day for, uh, deep for Oregon. Ducks couldn't run the ball at all. Utah's defense came to play. Knicks was kept mostly in check. But I came away from this one. I'm just like, if we get Oregon, USC in the title game, I'm picking Oregon. They just feel like the most complete team to me and can win them in just the biggest multitude of ways. Um, I don't know. Oregon... They're probably kicking themselves even more after that blunder last week, especially with Tennessee going down and just the state of affairs and UCLA pushing USC to its limit, just being like, man, this Oregon, man, they're they're kicking themselves, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, because they just they, they took care of business. They went in different ways. They're good. Yeah, and the only thing, the only difference between Oregon and the, the, the perception of Oregon and Tennessee right now is just – that Tennessee just lost later, right? Mm. Like, Oregon basically did the exact same. And Washington, I guess, is definitely a more respectable opponent at, at this point in the year, ranked, like, what, 16th, 18th or so. But, yeah, I mean, Oregon, they feel like the best team in the Pac-12 and feel like they kind of squandered an opportunity there for a, uh, a potential playoff berth. But um, they still got Oregon State uh, to finish it out. But, yeah, I feel like this was a good performance. Uh, like you said, um, Cam Rising, they um, they made him struggle in this one, and, and Bo Nix, 
Bo Nix just kind of makes this offense go. He didn't really uh, – you didn't see him carrying the ball as much in this one. But, um, you know, th- th- this team's just able to win multiple ways. I feel like the defense has kind of come along. And so to be able to win a game 2017, they've scored, what, 40 points in just about every other game this year. So, yeah, it was a, it was a big-time performance. Whew. I'm, I'm um, curious to see who's favored right now, um, USC, Oregon. I'd probably favor Oregon at this point. I would too, but I don't think the betting public will do that. I think a lot of people are going to pick USC and I just think USC has got this thing. I, I'm not there. I think Oregon's better. Um, and that will hopefully play out on the field in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, speaking of Pac-12, quickly, uh, Stanford kicks a field goal when the game was over um, to end it with a 60. Did you I see this? I saw that. I mean, that's a fireball offense for me. Uh, you 46 that. and a half over yeah. under on that one. Yeah, that was wild. Um, Vanderbilt beats uh <laughs> Vanderbilt beats um Florida in a crazy one just a huge win they have not uh Florida has not lost and in, in Nashville since 1988 so oof I don't know where things are headed if, right now did for Franklin Billy. beat Florida one time if, if he did it had to be at Florida it must have been um this was this was one of the storylines of the week. I think I feel like South Carolina. I've seen jokes that Florida fans are just thanking Tennessee for losing to South Carolina, so it's no true. one's talking about them losing to Vanderbilt. Um, I feel like this really kind of changes the trajectory of Florida a little bit. Like they were kind of you know quietly having like a really good year one of Napier. Like you know obviously. Losing to LSU at home isn't great, but LSU is a good team. Like lost to Georgia, lost at Tennessee. You know, Kentucky's not the best, but you know it's year one, and you know it's it's understandable. Like they've gotten multiple like solid wins to hang their hat on, like as far as year one goes. And to close this out, potentially finish eight and four, maybe nine and four with a bowl game. Now you're this loss to Vanderbilt. Now you're looking at Florida State. Like uh, this is not an automatic win by any means. I imagine Florida State's favored in this one at FSU. I mean, now you're talking about six and six. You you lose the where the Music City Bowl or wherever they happen to go and and go six and seven. Like this, it doesn't feel like just an automatic. Like okay, year two, this this thing's going on the right track. Losing to Vanderbilt, and I know Kirby Smart lost to Vanderbilt. Nick Saban lost to who? UL Monroe and half the teams in the SEC his first year. But the times feel a little different right now. Like it feels like you need some of that tangible progress. Like like Hypel, like we saw year one. Like you know Tennessee. What, what did they finish? Did they finished seven and six. Or they finished six and seven last year. Seven and six. Seven and six, and it was like the Purdue game went how it went. Right. That's like this is. This is basically a win for Tennessee in a bowl game. But, like, you saw, like, this offense, like, what the the vision is. It's like, oh, this is going to be exciting. Like, we can get on board with this. Like, we're going to be a tough team. We're going to be a team that people don't want to play against. To lose to Vanderbilt like this, especially, like, after the big win over South Carolina where you're like, wow, you know, maybe maybe they're, like, a really solid team, like, just to blow out uh, South Carolina the way they did. Um, it was looking pop more and more positive, but – to, to drop this one to Vanderbilt, it just kind of changes everything. And, and it's not all, all disrespect to, to Vanderbilt. Like, if you lose to Vanderbilt, you're trash. But if you lose to Vanderbilt, you're kind of trash. Let's be honest. Well, let's, I'm going to reserve any comment on this until <laughs> Um Georgia Tech knocks off UNC. 
on the road. Another bonkers ending. Like that was just kind of out of nowhere. Kept UNC's offense in check throughout. Just wild um, that that ended up happening. Uh, Maryland gave Ohio State a game up until the end of the fourth. Ohio State wins on another crazy just fumble into a touchdown situation to close out uh, the Terps. But uh, just I feel like that's Ohio State's done that more than any other team. Mm. Like just through the years, just have that like fluke pick scoop and score at the end of a game to win by two touchdowns. I don't know. I have no data to back that up. It's just a feeling. I I don't disagree. It it's wild that it's happened to them a lot, but um hey, a win to win, they take care of business. Um any other game you want to hit on before we uh before we do our wrap up with uh the state of the pick'em going into the final week of the season? No, I think you wrapped it up, but yeah, let me um let me hit you with the standings uh, here. Craziest college football weekend of the season, I think, right? I think it had to be, yeah. Just with mm. all the, uh, just the all the implication, and we didn't even really get that many crazy results. It was really uh, the Tennessee South Carolina, really the one true crazy result. All the the, the top four all all seemed to escape, um, but they were all they were all challenged for sure. But yeah, now on the season. So this past week, we both went eight and three overall. Um, you are now ninety-two and forty-three on the season. I'm eighty-seven and forty-eight. So you still got a five-game lead here with two weeks left to play. Um, I did gain a lead on you against the spread. I went five-five and one against the spread this week. You went four-six and one. Um, I'm now 67, 63, and 5 on the season against the spread to your 65, 65, and 5. But you're playing you're playing 500 ball, you know, so, you know, you're not losing any money. For sure. Uh, Matt Green? Last yeah. thing, Zeus is now 8 and 5, third straight win, uh, home dog of the week. So Zeus is really picking up his stride. He's uh, actually, to add to that, He's he's won. Let me see. Six of his last seven home dogs of the week. So uh, it was a rough start there to the year, but uh, home dog of the week giving you giving you outright winners on the home dog of the week. There you go. Um, I like it. I like it. Uh, final week. The regular season is here. Matt Green. I uh, should probably announce too that like this week with traveling and everything else, and I've got uh, final few weeks here of grad school. I am swamped uh right now that this will be our only pod uh this week this one and the the preview show on wednesday and then uh that's it i got too much on my plate uh this week and i kind of i need a little bit of a a break um to kind of you know get through just because tennessee lost now is it no i would have done this either way (laughs) no this was in the works like uh, with the holiday and everything else um uh and with school a lot of stuff wrapping up here as i graduate from and everything school Shout out to the listener who left that review. Uh, you got to give an everything school reference at there any given go. point in this podcast. So, um, no, we're all good. Rocky Top will survive. Basketball will compete for a Final Four. Uh, baseball is a preseason favorite in the SEC once again. They'll probably go back to the College World Series. Lady Vols are great. Women's basketball as well. Cross country did really well uh, down the stretch uh, here um, with their team. But, you know, a couple weeks here, I'll have another ring to to flash wedding ring and then my uh, graduation ring for the greatest university um in 
in the world, Matt Green. I feel good. Vols fans, chin up. Things are good. Things are fine. Be classy in winning. Be classy in defeats. It is what it is. It's what makes it fun. If people care this much, that probably, and people are this upset, uh, and get this much enjoyment out of your team losing and getting embarrassed on a national stage, like you said, Matt, probably means that the team's pretty good and that they're, uh, they're a team to hate because you don't want uh, any more success going their way. So it's okay. Vanderbilt lost. Now that might change things a little bit, but let's not, let's not go down that road. It's up there. We'll see. Joe Milton, the bazooka gun's ready. We're ready to see <laughs> what it looks like uh, in a full game action because we have not seen that in a very long time. So I don't yeah, know. And this could be a uh, blessing in disguise. Uh, Hudson Mason, uh, his, his one year starting for Georgia. You know, Aaron Murray towards ACL. Mason was able to get a couple starts in there the year before he, uh, he took over. So, you know, that, that could help things moving forward. There you go. I forgot all about that. I don't even remember he did that. Um, there you go. For that guy down there, Indiquila, Georgia, Matt Green for myself uh, up here in East Tennessee. The winners, Winnerstown, Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got, Matt Green. <laughs> I will talk to you on Wednesday. Until then, talk soon. Yes, sir. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.